0: I'm getting myself together up here I want to invite you guys if you you know we're we're going through the book of Colossians it's a whole letter if you don't have with you like maybe a paper Bible I mean okay app whatever I'll let you get away with it. Um, but if, if you don't have something that you can follow along with us, I just want to give you a minute while I'm getting my stuff together here. There's a whole stack of them back there on the back table. Maybe someone can be kind and grab a stack and pass them around. Teenagers too, young, middle schoolers, teenagers. If you don't have something that you can turn to Colossians and follow along. Bible's 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 there we go. Williams, Williams got us covered. Grab one there. Oh, that's embarrassing. Pastor's kid didn't bring a Bible to school.) <laughs> 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 this one's an IV. I do like to use other translations a lot, but while we're reading along together with so much, we'll try and keep it on the same page. Thank you for doing that. I just think it's really important that we all have the scripture in front of us. You know, Josh and I have talked a lot about how it's so often the Holy Spirit will highlight something to you that maybe he's not actually highlighting through the sermon that's really relevant to you, that he wants to say to you, and especially while we're reading such a large chunk of text. I think it's great that we can all do this together. Well, guys, I just opened my binder here and reminded myself I have hit the age where I have had to increase the font on my notes. I'm there. (laughs) No, I'm close. I'm afraid that I'm close. Um, All right, let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have these letters to read. Thank you that we can dive into them and glean truth and be encouraged and strengthened and built into the body that you want us to be. And I just agree with Ethan, Lord. Would you come and speak this morning? Would you speak through the preparation? Would you speak through whatever means you like, Father? But God, would your purposes stand and would you do all that you please? May we not miss any little morsel that you have for us today. Jesus name. Amen. Alrighty. So just to kind of recap, if you haven't been here the past couple of weeks, as you can see, that's good. I can see that. Um, We we are going through the the book, the letter of Colossians. Uh, Now this was a letter that Paul wrote to a small church in the town of Colossae um, while Paul was in prison. This is a church actually that he did not plant and he had actually never even been to. He had not met these people. He had not been a part of this church, um, but he has been made aware of this church and their faith by this guy, Epiphas, who is the one who did plant it, um, who came and told Paul, while he was in prison, about all these um, these folks in this little church and how, how they're doing and what's going on there. And Paul is just super excited in this letter because he is really thrilled that the gospel has taken root in this town and that this, this church is bearing fruit and all the things that God is doing and all the good news that he's heard from Epaphras. Um, and he writes this letter to them to encourage them, since he can't obviously be with them since he is in prison, but he writes this letter to them to encourage them in their new faith and, and to teach them how it is that they can nurture their new faith and continue to bear fruit and be brought up in Christ. And so Josh covered um, chapter one over the past couple of weeks from a couple of different angles. Um, if you missed those, you know, obviously they're available online. You can go back um, and watch them on YouTube or listen to them on our, our streaming Uh, that's on the website. Um, So today we are gonna cover the first part of chapter two. So you can go ahead and be turning to Colossians. Uh, chapter two, and so this, so here's actually what we're going to do. We're going to hang off on the, um, I meant to tell you this before, sorry. We're going to just put these verses up as we go back through, but as we read this whole first chunk of scripture together, um, let's let's each have our, our own Bible so that we can follow along in this one big chunk, because I don't have the whole big chunk um, on the screen for you. I have it just kind of broken apart as we go through. So let's start Colossians 2, and we're going to read the whole text of verses 1 through 15 together, and then we're going to kind of go back through um, and look at it bit by bit and what's going on here and what Paul's saying. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. By the way, thank you for your word, Chris, because, you know, we meet together in pre-service prayer, and often the sermon is confirmed, and it, like, wasn't there this morning, and I thought, ah, we'll see how this goes. We were just late. Chris got it during worship. Mm -hmm. Um, What you said, your word was very relevant for for what we're talking about today, so thank you for that. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. That's interesting. That wording was slightly different than the NIV I was using at home. All right. So much good stuff in here, right? So we're just going to dive right in and make sure that we can get through all of this this morning. I'm not going to not going to hold hold you captive. All right. So verses one through two, now we can, we can throw those back up here. We're gonna kind of take this chunk by chunk and look at each bit that Paul's saying, because gosh, he said a lot there, didn't he? There's a lot to dig into. So this first part, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, Now, is Paul being whiny here about struggling? Oh, I just need you to know how hard everything is. No, that's not actually what he's saying at all. This struggle that Paul is undergoing, that he's referring to, that he's experiencing on behalf of these two particular churches and Colossae and Laodicea is, is something like a wrestling match, is like what the language implies. Um, and it's not a physical wrestling match, though. It's a spiritual one. So what he's saying is that he's interceding for them. He is wrestling on their behalf in prayer, interceding for them in their well-being. Since he can't be with them in person to pour into them one-on-one like he likes to do, right? He traveled all over the place doing this. He is fervently wrestling on their behalf through intercession in prayer since he's in prison and can't get to them. And what's he praying for? What's his goal? What is the great hope of this great apostle for this tiny little church that's just started in this home of just a handful of believers? What is it that he's focusing on in his wrestling and in his prayer? And it says that they experience genuine love and unity with one another. That's the thing that he is wrestling in the spirit for them for. Why is this so important? Like, not that they, like, have this great understanding, not that they have the perfect theology, not that they're moving perfectly in all the gifts of the Spirit, but that they love one another and that they have unity. That's what he's prioritizing. Well, back at the beginning of this letter, part of what Josh covered in the past two weeks, Paul has already told this church the thing that he is so thankful for, and this is the next one, other than the fact that they've come to faith and that they were following Jesus is their love for one another. And he starts out with this right in the beginning of the letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus. Yes, that's, that's important. That's the first thing, right? But, and of the love you have for all God's people. This is paramount to Paul that they love each other, that they have unity. Now, now they whether or not they like each other, like who knows, (laughs) right? But they love each other and they prioritize each other because Paul knows what Jesus taught his disciples. Remember this? When Jesus said that you're going to be known, you're going to be identified and marked and distinguished by the way that you love one another, the way that you show favor and preference for one another, the way that we act towards one another. Again, whether or not we like each other or whatever, but the fact that they're committed to loving one another in kindness and forgiveness and mutual submission and all these beautiful things that happen in the body of Christ. Because it's completely counter to the world's way of doing things, isn't it? Out there, it's so much competition and it's so much, you know, kind of dog-eat-dog, but in here, we're meant to be marked by a different way of life towards each other, of love and unity, and so this is evidence to Paul that the Holy Spirit truly is at work in their midst because this type of unity and love is a mark of the Holy Spirit. It's an act of his hand. And so he's encouraging them in that. He's saying this is the mark of Christ in your body there, that you have this. And so that's what he's focusing on right out of the gate there, going all the way back to the first part of this letter. All right, let's look at the next couple of verses. In order that, so all right, so you have this unity You know, you have this love for each other in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, slide this somewhere, let me borrow this real quick. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. All right, next slide. Who remembers this movie? What, like four of you? Oh my gosh, you're so young. (laughs) Awesome. What is it? it's the Goonies this is this great if you Goonies never die right this is this great mid 80s movie I this was one of my favorite movies as a kid it is this great like stereotypical 80s adventure the only reason Jessica knows it's because we made her watch it during COVID when we found out she hadn't seen like Back to the Future or any of this good stuff I know uh, we made her watch it But see, now you can raise your hand when I ask. (laughs) Yeah, this is what we do at our leadership meetings. We watch Goonies. Um, (laughs) So this is this great mid 80s movie. And actually, when I went to pull up this uh, slide for you guys to get a picture, you know what I found out? I found out that they actually just re-released it at the beginning of September into theaters for like a very limited time. And I missed it. They were celebrating the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers which is the studio that this came out of. And I miss, guys, I totally would have gone to see Goonies with a group of you in the theater. So anyway, this is this like 1985, like just fun, adventurous um, movie about these kids. So what happens is there's this neighborhood up in the Pacific Northwest. um, The parents are having a hard time like paying the mortgage. They're getting behind on their mortgage and they're gonna have to sign over their property to like this big development company that's going to come in and bulldoze this neighborhood and build like i don't know like a bunch of condos or a mall or something you know and so the kids are all upset about this and as they're packing and getting ready to move all their stuff out they find a pirate map in the attic and they're all excited, right? And some of these kids are like, oh, that's just a fake. It's just a toy. It's nonsense. But some of the kids are like, no, 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 this is our chance. This is our chance to go on an adventure, find this treasure and save the day, right? Save our neighborhood. And, you know, they tell the parents, and, you know, some of the parents like mostly just think they're, they're just crazy, ah, you're just naive kids, this is nothing, this is like your grandfather's like crazy whatever, um, and they're telling the kids, you know, you just need to come to terms with the reality, this is what's going to happen, you got to get over it, um, you got to quit acting like this, but these kids are absolutely resolute in their conviction that this pirate map is the answer to all their problems, they're going to save their house, and so this group of kids, and there's more than this in there, but they set off on this adventure to find pirate one-eyed Willie's hidden treasure. Okay. And along the way, they encounter this family, the Fratellis. I didn't get you a picture of the Fratellis, but they're like this Italian crime family, you know, that's hiding out in their hideout after they've robbed these places. Um, And the kids come across them and they've got to get through the hideout to get to the treasure. It's part of the map. And now the Fratellis are on their tail and they find out these kids are after a treasure and they're after they decide, Nope, we're going to get it before these kids do. We're going to distract them. We're going to lead them off course. We're going to prevent them from doing what they want to do. And not only that, if they get past this crime family, they have to also get past all the booby traps that One-Eyed Willie set up to protect his treasure, right? And they have to figure out how to not get caught in all the same things all the treasure seekers before them have and how not to fall into those traps. And the key to doing that is actually thinking like One-Eyed Willie would have thought. How would he have set this up? How would he have, you know... What would he have wanted us to know to be able to solve this riddle or solve this puzzle? And of course, like in a good 80s movie adventure, they figure it out, they get through, they find... The pirate ship, full of treasure, more treasure than they can possibly carry. At the end, they're shoving their mouth full. They're shoving their pockets full. They're putting it on. They're wearing all their rings and bracelets, um, and trying to get out of there with it. And it doesn't exactly end like that, but it saves the day. It saves their neighborhood. The evil development company, you know, is uh, thwarted in their efforts. Little aside here. I, I you know, this is a fun story. But we had a pastor who used to talk about how, um, you know, people are made in the image of God, right? We have his story innate in us. And so when we start to tell our stories, when we write our movies and our screenplays and those kinds of things in our books, even those who aren't followers of Jesus because we're created in his image, It seems like often that story of God will come out in our art, in our creativity. And so I think it's really cool to take movies like this, Um, there's lots of them actually, like The Matrix and even like um, a lot of the Disney movies where you can see the threads of the story of God coming out because they're made in the image of God and God's story. Anyway, it's a really fun, cool thing to do. And it's one of the things that you can do with this movie. That's just kind of an aside though all right so what on earth does the goonies have to do with the book of colossians now that we've gone down that rabbit trail well again towards the end of chapter one of this letter and there's a there's a slide for this paul says to the colossian church that there's this mystery this treasure the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the lord's people To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in Christ, the hope of glory. So there's this mystery, this treasure, God's secret plan that's been hidden all this time for generations, uh, cryptic, unable to be, think about the law and the prophets and unable to be deciphered thus far. And now is all of a sudden bursting on the scene, full view in front of God's people with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And all of a sudden, all this map and all this cryptic stuff and all these prophets are starting to make sense. All the codes on the map are starting to line up with the life of Jesus. And it's here. And Paul's got this map and he's reading this map and he's inviting anyone who will come along to go on this adventure with him and to seek this treasure that God has for them that's being revealed in Jesus and to pursue this. And he's helping instruct them, no, here's how you get it. Here's how you get to it. Here's how you look for it. And he's trying to do this because this treasure is everything that they've been longing for. It's everything that they need to take hold of. It's everything they need to grow up into mature, fulfilled believers and followers of Jesus. And Jesus himself is the treasure. He's the one that they're seeking. And it's even part of this mystery that somehow through having the mind of Christ, like thinking, thinking like One-Eyed Willie, but I'm not gonna go too far down this analogy lest we end up in heresy. <laughs> I'm, I gotcha. But thinking that way, Jesus is the map. He's the way to himself. It's, it's kind of this weird double-edged thing And thinking like Jesus and following his ways and bowing to him as Lord is how we get to him. It's how we discover him. It's how we find the treasure that is our Savior that has been revealed to us. It is all about Jesus. The whole treasure hunt. He is somehow both the map and the treasure. And when you find him, you can spend the rest of your life unpacking all the goodness that you can't possibly shove all in your mouth and in your pockets and put on. There's just too much. But you can spend the rest of your life unpacking the goodness and the treasure of God that is for you. And so that's what Paul is encouraging these believers toward. He's like, you've got this destination. You've got this mission. And it's better than you can imagine. And it's all about Jesus, all of it. But, Paul warns, there's gonna be some hurdles. There's gonna be some booby traps. There's gonna be some villains that get in your way. I love what Chris prayed this morning about those who would attempt to deceive us, that they just are powerless, that they're just no more. That their plans to thwart our efforts to pursue the Lord will not bear fruit. And so Paul is telling these guys in Colossae, in the Colossian church, all of this so they don't fall into those same traps that he's seen other churches fall into. He's seen this before and he's warning him, look, guys, this is what you have to look out for. We should listen to this because there's nothing new under the sun, (laughs) right? These things he's telling the Colossian church, we should be mindful of and look out for because the same root of this junk is there just in different ways in our culture, okay? And so that they don't get convinced when those unbelievers and those naysayers and those who say, you know, we're naive and we've fallen into a deception so that we don't fall into the trap of believing that, so that we don't allow them to cast doubt and tell us that we're foolish and naive or to tell us, you know, no, 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 really, the treasure is really just your own happiness or the treasure is really just, you know, your own personal freedom or just pursuing whatever your truth is. We can't fall into those lies. And so the fratellis of this world, you know, to keep drawn back that, they're going to try and steal away this treasure from us. There are people who are going to try and send us in a different direction, send us off course. There are people who will sneer and say that we have bought into a fairy tale. You've probably had that happen if you've followed Jesus very publicly for very long. People who think you're silly, people who think you're deceived. And maybe even worse. But Paul is encouraged because he sees this church and the way that they're disciplined and firm in their faith. And he wants them to stay that way. So, that word disciplined that's in there, uh, back in, let's see, what verse was that? Um, five. He, when he says, You're disciplined, and how firm in your faith in Christ you are that word literally means an unbroken battle formation it's this image of the believers standing shoulder to shoulder like a fortified wall a defensive wall and this is, again, that picture of the unity and the love for one another that they have. And he's saying, that is what's going to keep you from falling into these deceptions and these traps that the world is going to set for you. I love, actually, what Josh did this morning in pre-service prayer. If you're not coming to pre-service prayer, I, I know it doesn't work for everyone's schedule, but if you're able, like, the Lord so often does stuff in there that I just think is so beautiful. Like, it's ch- church starts at, like, 950. You know, And I love what he did this morning. What he did is, for those who were in the room, he said, get in mind someone in this church that's not in here yet. But allow the Holy Spirit to bring someone to your mind and then let's pray for them. And then not only let's pray for them, let's be in the mindset and be ready to minister to them and encourage them and stand alongside them. So ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that they need? How can I minister to them? Give me a word for them, Lord. Give me a prophetic word. Give me a word of knowledge. Give me a word of encouragement for them. And that is what standing shoulder to shoulder as a unified, unbroken defense looks like. That's what we need as a body to stand against the traps and the pitfalls that the world is going to put before us. I I just thought of this, but have any of you ever seen that meme that says if I can worship on my own, I don't need church was a picture and it's a picture of like a herd of zebras and one zebra off by himself being chased by the cheetah or whatever. And like, it's true. It's like, we need each other. We need that unity. We need that mutual affection and that love. All right, so how else are we to do that? Well, going on to verses six and seven. So then... Just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, these two verses are the key to this whole letter. This is the nugget, this is the crux of what Paul wants them to know. Just as you received Christ as Lord, continue on in him. Be built up, be rooted in, be strengthened in your faith, just like we taught you, and be overflowing with thankfulness for it. This, everything that in chapter one and the first part of chapter two that came before this is leading up to this important point, and everything in the rest of the letter will kind of expound upon it. Upon it. And this is what Paul really wants them to get. This is everything that they need. So there's this phrase in the vineyard that came out from our movement's founder, John Wimber, and it says this, the way in is the way on. There's even a a book about it. These are a bunch of his teachings and writings. Yes, it is. It is a very old picture. Um, But this is a a book of his teachings and writings. um, And the title, the way in is the way on. And what that means is the way that we first come to Jesus the way that we first come to faith in just humility and brokenness and in need for him and in great thankfulness for what he has done in his salvation, we have to continue on in him in that same fashion. Yeah. The way we continue on is the way that we got here in the first place. and. The believers in this Colossian church have come to faith, and Paul is super excited about it, but it's essential that they not stop learning and growing and maturing and gaining all that they need to be built up like that unbroken battle formation in Jesus. And Paul is really purposeful here to say, not just be strengthened, but to be strengthened in Jesus, This is where your strength comes from. Sometimes we get this wrong. I think oftentimes the world gets this wrong. Just some generic spiritual experience, guys, doesn't cut it. Some emotional, fuzzy, even, we can't view Jesus as a means to an experience. Jesus is the goal. The encounter with Jesus is what we're after. Because that's all that lasts and that's all that matters. Jesus is not a means to an experience. Jesus is the treasure. And that's a very slight difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. And we have to be very careful about that. I recently heard of some, um, kind of through a mutual friend, some former Vineyard friends that had gone through a difficult time I kind of went through some of that deconstruction stuff, you know, that you've been hearing about. And they had decided to pursue spiritual experiences through avenues other than Christianity. It's death. There is no spiritual experience outside of Jesus that matters, that's lasting, Mm -hmm. that's life-changing. And hearing that was just heartbreaking for me because it's just chaff. It's worthless because it's all about Jesus. And that's the case as long as we live. That we must continue to be rooted in Jesus and to be built up in Jesus. And that looks like, you know, all sorts of other things as long as it's focused on Jesus. It looks like prayer, it looks like silence and solitude to spend time with Him and and encounter Him. It looks like Sabbath. It looks like hiding his word in our hearts so that we have that with us and that we will not turn against him or sin against him. It looks like showing generosity and ministering to others out of his power and his spirit alive in us. And it looks like sharing the gospel with the lost. And so there's lots of things that we can do to be connected to Jesus, but it's got to be the point is meeting Jesus. So many of you know that um, every summer we take the youth group to summer camp. And the summer camp is located um, out I-20, west of Atlanta, and it's called Camp Vineyard. And so many of you have been super generous and donated or even, you know, taking kids or sent your kids. And it's a great time. We look forward to it all year. Um, But the camp is run by vineyard folks, like Vineyard Southeast leaders. But we rent the facility that's like a campground that, you know, is there all year running other camps. It's called Woodland. And we love this campground. Um, they've been, you know, doing this there for 15 years, uh, The great relationship with them. And back before COVID, like these camps were really, really strong. Like we would go and we'd take like 400 kids from all over the vineyard in the southeast, all these different churches. We would pack the place out so much so that we actually had to have overflow dorm space, sleeping space at local churches. And the kids would come to the camp and shower during the day and go back. Like we were just packed. Um, you know, there was a waiting list every year. And it was awesome. And this was like this for Woodland often. You know, they'd have a lot of camps like this. And they said, well, this is going great. So we're going to start to build we're going to add on so that we can add more space. And this was really exciting. You know, they raised all this money. um, It was going great. And they had planned this new dorm facility that was part of the best dorms that are there that everybody wants to get because the bathrooms are like actually in the building and you don't have to go outside. And they're right across from the dining hall and the chapel. And so they were building this, this new cabin. Literally, as you walk out the chapel, you see it and they got started on it and everyone was so hopeful cuz we thought, "Yay, next time we come, everybody will be able to be on site together. We won't have to shuttle kids off to the, you know, other churches at night or whatever." And then COVID hit. So that was early 2020. And we all know what happened when COVID hit. Camps stopped, retreats stopped. All those different gatherings were just halted for a while. And all of a sudden, this building and this thing that we were all so excited about just came to a screeching stop. And woodland was no longer growing. And like many ministries, instead of thriving, they were just trying to survive. And we were just hoping we'd be able to go back there one day, that they wouldn't close altogether. And so what was once this wonderful, exciting, strong start in this strong foundation now just ended up as a cinder block wall with weeds growing on it. And the past couple years when we've gone back, that's where it still is. And so every time you know we walk out the front of the chapel, this isn't the actual picture. I couldn't get the actual picture, but it's the closest to what I could find that looks just like it. Just if you, if you know where to look, kind of over on the side, you see this cinder block square with a little bit of gravel in the middle. It's just got like vines and ivy growing all over it. And it's this reminder of the toll that COVID took on that ministry and on these camps because we've never hit capacity again after that because of what happened, because we stopped growing. And there's always this little bit of sadness that this awesome plan that we were all looking forward to still hasn't come about to be everything that it was intended to be. And so Paul is warning this church of the same thing. He's saying, guys, being a Christian is not just one foundation making decision at one moment in time. That's necessary. Yes, a strong foundation is necessary, but you can't stop there. You have to continue being rooted and built up block by block in Jesus or else what's going to happen, right? And by the way, he says, do it all with thankfulness. Because thankfulness, like authentic gratitude towards Jesus, is really the true litmus test of our souls, isn't it? Are we really grasping the reality of who God is? what Jesus has done for us. If we are, we should be absolutely bursting and overflowing with thankfulness to Him for what He's done, and if we've not, maybe we aren't really comprehending the depths of our forgiveness and how far our sin has been separated us through His cross. Because if we are, we should be absolutely bursting with gratitude because he has saved our souls and he's turned our life around and he's brought his kingdom on this earth for us to experience. How can we not be thankful? We are being built into the spiritual house that he's meant for us to be and everything we need in the treasure and the wealth and the wisdom and the knowledge is found in him to be completed. And so we have to keep growing and building, not of our own effort, of course, but through discipleship of drawing close to Jesus being built into that spiritual house of faith, lest those weeds will take over the soon, as soon as they get a chance. Do you know people like that? You probably know people like that. They had a really strong, good start, and then they thought that was enough, and they just stopped. And now you look and you see the effect in their lives, that they've been choked and tangled out by weeds. All right. Now we do it on time. Okay. So we're going to take this... L- Just a side note. I I put this in my notes. I think it's important for me to say this. Um, I don't think I can understate how important thankfulness is in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, We had a a leadership meeting recently, and and one of the the words I had, Josh asked us, you know, just listen for the Lord. See what he's got for us. And the strong impression I had was just, gosh, we've got to be thankful. We've got to be thankful. We have to show the Lord our gratitude. Thank our mindset and our attitude of thankfulness determines so much about our ministry, about our hearts, about our spirits, our soul you know it, it just it permeates everything. And we have to be thankful. I think it needs to be a spiritual practice that we engage in often, of just stopping and being thankful to the Lord and speaking it out, whatever it takes. All right, so we're going to take this last chunk of scripture, uh, kind of all this one big hunk here. So let's reread it together, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and this version that I was using at home says it a little bit differently, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And I love the way that this particular translation puts this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross oh what good news how can we not respond with thanksgiving so paul actually does this really clever word play here uh back in this first bit um and unfortunately, it's lost in the English translations. So he's, again, warning these new believers, right? Don't be deceived. And the language he uses, he says, don't let anyone take you captive, right? Kind of gives us that image of those weeds, strangling. But the word that he very clearly intentionally chooses to use for this take captive bit, this is clever here. In that original language, sounds very, very close to the word synagogue. So take captive sounds like synagogue. Okay, why is that significant? Why does that matter? Why would he choose the word particularly to have that, the, the listener's ear drawn to that picture? Well, because what is it that Paul is really warning them about? There's this whole thing here about circumcision, right? And these elemental spiritual forces, as it says, these things that aren't based on the grace of Jesus, they're human inventions, they're human traditions, they're things required by people, not by the word, not by God. And so Paul has used this phrase, elemental spiritual forces before. And we can actually find that in the letters that he wrote to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter four. Because what had happened in Galatia, um, if you... uh, have studied that and and remember, um, but if not, what had happened is that there were Jewish believers and now there were new Gentile non-Jewish believers. Well, the Jewish believers practiced circumcision, right? That was the law of Moses. That's what they felt like they needed to do. Well, the Jewish believers began to tell the new Gentile believers, hey, your faith in Jesus is really important and that's really great and all, um, but it's not everything and it's not complete. You have to be circumcised, too. Now, you can imagine, since this wasn't a practice, that the Gentiles regularly observed how they felt about this. Wait, I'm sorry, you want us to do what? (laughs) I received Jesus, that's not enough. Why do you want me to do that? And the Jews are like, oh, yeah, 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 you got to keep the law of Moses, too. And so Paul has to write to them and set them straight, right? Uh Uh-uh. No, the law no longer has any hold on you. The law has been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and you can't add anything onto his salvation that has any value or worth. It is all through his grace by your faith in him. That's it. That's all that matters. And so Paul is setting them straight, saying, look, guys, this physical circumcision thing is totally irrelevant now. That's law. You have grace. And that's what you need is grace. And by the way, trust me, you don't want to go back to the law because if you keep that one part of the law, you got to keep the whole thing. You can't, you know, part and parcel. you gotta, you got to swallow the whole deal. And is that really what you want, right? And so now Paul is warning this Colossian church about these types of arguments because Galatia wasn't really all that far from this new church. He's like, these same people could come through. They could spread the same message. They could try to deceive in the same way. And so he's telling them, you know, stay sharp know that Jesus is sufficient. And so going back to this play on Paul's words, what he's saying is don't be tempted or deceived back into the law. Don't be tempted or deceived back into the synagogue. Don't be taken captive. Don't be drawn back into the synagogue and the law that you are now free from, that Jesus has fulfilled And so any religious call, guys, and Paul says this, any religious call to morality or spirituality or any of those things, whether it's human tradition, whether it's church doctrine, whether it's things we do, whatever, be it circumcision for them or whatever the thing is for us, anything other than devotion to Jesus is a false gospel. And we have to be alert for those because there will be people who try to tell us, well, you're not good enough because... You have to add this on to your faith. And it's rubbish. All right, one of my all-time favorite verses in this passage, verse nine. I I memorized this a long time ago in a a different translation, but it just, there's so much power in it. In Jesus, all the fullness of the deity, of God himself, of the Father, lives in bodily form. Oh, (laughs) Josh talked about this a good bit uh, last week, but in this letter, Paul has already confronted some of the heresies of the day, right? And this is one of them, that he's just taking down, that Jesus is somehow not God. And guys, if you think that this is something that like only first century Christian churches dealt with, eh, wrong. It is still alive and well today. Matter of fact, Um, our our last Vineyard Church ran a cafe for a while. And there was a lot of local Bible studies, churches. It was right down from NC State would come and meet there and have Bible studies. And we got to this point where there was this other group coming in. There were a cult called The Way. Now don't like not everything called the way is the same one. There's lots of those. But this particular one had this belief that Jesus was not God. And for some reason they just decided that they needed to convince all the people having Bible studies in our cafe of this point. And so they would come in and they would insert themselves in the different Bible studies. It, it was bizarre because like these Bible studies were like, you know, eight guys meeting together. They've been doing this for years and all of a sudden this new person is there inserting themselves like trying to tell them Jesus isn't God. And I finally picked up on what was happening. I was, hey, who is that new guy? Oh, I don't know and I realized what was going on I heard them saying these things and I had to do two things first I had to confront them with truth mm-hmm. and I had to show them Colossians 2 9 that says no the word is very clear Jesus is God in fullness and bodily form there is nothing lacking in Jesus the fullness of God came and indwelt became incarnate in our flesh in fullness and so that's a heresy that you're trying to spread and two, get out <laughs> You're not going to do it here. You're wrong. Get out. And you just, we have to take authority over those things, right? Anyway, all right. So Paul is explicit here. God, Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh in physical human form and any doctrine that says otherwise is not Christianity. Any religion It says, um, you know, oh, we worship the same God but does not recognize Jesus as God and the fullness of God. I'm sorry, no, we don't. You know, and and he he is deity. the, The Bible is very clear about that because our God humbled himself. He put on flesh to meet us for our sake. So don't be deceived by that. And Paul goes on to explain that the reason that you don't need to add any of these human traditions, any of these other things accomplished by human hands on to the sufficiency of Christ is that Jesus, God in flesh, came and accomplished for us the only circumcision that ha- that matters, the only circumcision that has any power whatsoever, something that no other human could do for us. Instead of just a small like modification Of our physical selves or dressing right or talking right or acting right or whatever it is, Jesus has made it possible to completely shed our old sinful nature, our flesh, and place our faith in Him. And He made a complete circumcision possible of our old fleshly nature, not just a bit or a piece or kicking the can down the road. And baptism is that demonstration that our old sinful nature has been cut off and removed completely from us through Jesus' death on the cross, his forgiveness and his resurrection. And we have been given a whole new life, not just one little marker sign, but a whole new creation life of faith in him. And the debt of our sin has been canceled. And any accusations by anyone else has no power over us anymore. It's done. They've been silenced. They have been made a fool of. They have been made a spectacle of. Because remember on the cross, Jesus had that thing over him that said like the king of the Jews, it was meant as a mockery. But really God turned it on his head and he's the one who shamed them and said, no, these rules you're putting on them, it's nonsense and it has no power and I'm turning it upside down and I'm canceling the debt and I'm erasing it and your accusations fall flat and they have no power anymore. That we are set free This is the power of Jesus and nothing, nothing at all, not your own effort, not anyone's approval need need be added to it. You only need to receive it. It is sufficient and complete and that is good news. And so if you've never said yes to this good news, if you've never said I want that, like you can do that this morning, you have the opportunity to do it right now, no one else, no one else Stands between you and the Lord. You just confess Him as Lord, believe by faith that He is the Son of God, that it is true, that He has come, He has died for you in the cross and raised again. And the Bible says, Didn't you receive salvation? It's as simple as that. And don't we try to make it more complicated than that? Don't we try to add things onto it often? But the Word, even we're doing it, but the Word says, By faith alone in Christ alone. You get to claim everything that Paul is writing to these Colossians. Every encouragement, every blessing, every teaching. And you will have that foundation of Jesus that you can spend the rest of your life building on and unpacking and enjoying the fruits of.